be in Hebrews chapter 13. As we heard a little bit of this passage on Wednesday night, but not quite what we're going to go and talk about this morning, uh, but we will cover that verse as well. Hebrews 13, starting with verse 9, is what we heard Wednesday night. We'll be focused on 10 through 13, but we'll start in 9. How's everybody doing this morning? Alive, awake? Good, good. Hebrews 13, verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Here's where we'll focus our time this morning. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, which means outside the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Let's pray this morning over this word and this service. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your body and your blood that you've given for us, that we have discerned today, Lord, and, and obeyed your commandment to do in remembrance. Lord, we ask that that would not just be something that we do physically uh, once a month, but moment by moment we would do it in our hearts by faith toward you and your sacrifice, Lord. I ask that you'd have your will in this sermon, in this service, the remainder of it, that you would come and speak through me your word that you want to be uttered for encouragement, for edification, for conviction, for rebuke, whatever your will is. Lord, that your son Jesus and his finished work might be glorified in nothing else, no part of me, no part of anyone, but that your son and his work would be magnified. Lord, I'd ask that you'd open my ears and all of the ears of those listening to receive this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read verse 10 again together. But we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Before we really dissect this passage, I want to speak a few minutes about altars. That's a word that's very common in the Bible, amen, altars. Altars throughout the Bible, first and foremost, we need to understand that God has always and only ever dealt with man on the basis of the altar. And what is an altar? Well, many people might assume it's where we come and gather at the end of the service and uh, that's incorrect. We call that an altar because it represents the place where man has only ever been able to meet with God. But the altar, an altar, that word simply means the place of slaughter or sacrifice. Wherever there's been an altar made from a man or a woman unto God throughout the Bible, throughout history, there's always been a sacrifice. Because the altar is the sacrifice. It's the place where the sacrifice, of course, when I say that, I'm talking about the lamb, the bull, the goat, and the Old Testament, which, of course, typified the ultimate altar, the cross of Christ. So the word altar in Hebrew literally means the place of slaughter or sacrifice. And the first time this word is mentioned in the Word of God is Genesis 8.20. 
And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And if you know, if you're familiar with that story, this is after the ark parked, if we can say that about a boat. It parked, it stood still, and the earth dried up after several days. And then Noah left the altar and he immediately built, or he left the the ark and immediately built an altar unto God and sacrificed on that altar. And the question that pops into my mind when I read that is, how did Noah know how or even that he should build an altar? And the reality is it's because he was in the lineage of Adam who when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, fell into sin, what immediately happened Can anybody tell me? God rushed in and built the first altar by sacrificing animals and clothing Adam and Eve with them because they had just fell into sin. It was a picture and a type of the sacrifice that God would make from His Son and clothe us with His righteousness. Amen? So the very first altar was made by God. And when he sacrificed animals after we fell into sin. And, and Noah, being in the lineage of, of Adam, how many of you know back then these men lived hundreds of years old? That meant they, they were alive with their great-great-grandfather, some of them. They knew the story of creation. And we often don't think about that. I was talking to my dad about that a little bit last night. Do you know that Noah was not just some, you know, some nobody. People knew who he was because he was in the direct lineage. People, And it doesn't mean he was somebody because he humbled himself. And the Bible says he found grace in the eyes of God. And why does it, why does, what does it mean that he found grace in the eyes of God? Well, we know according to the Bible that grace is always attached to Jesus and what he did at Calvary, the sacrifice. Once again, this is why Noah found grace in the eyes of God because he was a man of the altar, a man of the sacrifice. The, when the Bible tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of God, It doesn't just mean that, oh, well, Noah, he just found favor with the Most High. You know, he he was just liked by God. God just had a special uh, taking to Noah. That's not what it means. It means he found grace in the eyes of God because he followed God's way that was from the beginning, the way of the sacrifice. Noah found grace because he found the sacrifice. And the Bible also says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. How was he a preacher of righteousness? Once again, because he was a man of the sacrifice. He built an altar and sacrificed as soon as he stepped off of the ark. Because and, and that's why he could be called a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just out there preaching, make sure you get on my boat, it's about to flood. He was saying, I'm building a a boat because God's about to flood the earth because of sin, but you can be saved by the sacrifice if you'll get in the ark, which is a type of Christ. Amen? We need to understand this morning that when we make comments like the Bible is all about Christ, that's literal. That's literal. Noah did not just preach righteousness in the sense of talking about how God will save you from the flood. 
God's messengers have always preached the sacrifice. And it's no different today. If you want to find grace in the eyes of God, you've got to find the cross. You've got to find His Son, Jesus. If you want to preach righteousness, you've got to preach the cross. Romans 1, 18, 17 and 18, righteousness is revealed in the preaching of the gospel. Amen? So that's, that's how Noah... Uh, that's the first time that the, the word altar is mentioned when Noah built it. And it you, but you can rest assured it wasn't the first altar built. It's the first record we have of it. And over time, throughout God's Word, we really see a, a progressive revelation of the cross and types and shadows of altars built to God by man. What do I mean by that? Well, let me read you this. At first... There were several altars built by Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the men and women who followed God, you know, they, they built an altar wherever they went and sacrificed to the Lord. So there were many altars, but only one sacrifice, only one way, the altar. But everywhere they went, they built one because it was the only way to God. But at first, there were several altars and then when God revealed His law to Moses, there were only two altars in the tabernacle. Eventually, God would send His Son and establish one altar for all. You see that narrowness narrowing down? And, and it's never been a broad way. God's always only worked through the altar, but He narrowed it down to one man who was also God, His Son, Jesus Christ. The altar is the cross. One altar, His Son established once and for all the cross of Christ. And this is the altar that's being taught about in our passage here in Hebrews. It's the only altar that God operates through the altar of the cross. How many of you know the only power in those sacrifices in the Old Testament was because they pointed and typified the sacrifice of Christ? You know that the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the blood of those bulls and goats and lambs meant absolutely nothing. It was what they pointed to. But do you know how ingrained the blood of the lamb was in those sacrifices, in those operations, the, the Aaron and his sons? We talked about it last night. You know, it, 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 it was so narrow. It was, it was one nation on earth, Israel. And in that one nation, it was one tribe, the tribe of Levi. And, and in that one tribe, it was one family. And in that one family, it was one man. And then it was one time a year in one place by one priest with one lamb. And they would put the blood on their earlobes and all their forehead and all these types to show that it were covered by the blood of the lamb. We could go home right now because we, now we know it's all about the lamb. So when we make statements like we've determined to know nothing else because that's what the apostle Paul said... Now you know why we can make those statements because everything God's ever been about is about His Son and what He would do at the cross, the blood of the Lamb. This isn't something new. We're just now all getting in it. God's always had this way, and we're all now in the past 20, however long, many years you've been involved in the, the preaching of the cross. We're just now getting in it. It's always been here. It's the old paths. Amen? But this is the altar that we're talking about in Hebrews 13 this morning. 
And we're going to back up to verse 9 and cover this whole passage. Verse 9 in Hebrews 13 says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Number one, let's look at that phrase, established with grace, not with meats. What is that talking about? Well, that's not just talking about ribeye and you can't have shrimp and you can't have sirloin. No, we know that the Bible teaches that in the Old Testament they were to refrain from some certain meats and that they were to sacrifice meats. And that's what this is referring to when it says that your hearts be established with grace and not with meats. It's saying and referring to law versus grace. These are New Testament believers. Christ had already come and fulfilled the law. And what Paul, who wrote Hebrews, I believe, was addressing here was a group of believers who were now and unbelievers who were attempting to be saved by the keeping of the sacrifice and a group of believers who were attempting to stay saved and to stay in relationship with God by keeping the sacrifice and serving in the tabernacle. And they were attempting to earn the grace of God by continuing to do the sacrifices. Paul calls this a strange doctrine, a diverse and strange doctrine. And I want you to know today, I mean, many of us can read this and say, well, how does that apply to me? It's because there's only ever two different avenues. There's either self or Christ and what He did. That's it. It's either grace, which is freely, or law, which is earned. And God's way is grace, and it always has been. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So these here who he's writing to were attempting to earn grace by continuing in the serving of the tabernacle, even though Jesus had come and served as a faithful and true high priest. Amen. And anything that seeks to establish the heart in something other than grace, Paul says, is a strange doctrine. And when we attempt to earn God's righteousness, His favor, salvation, victory, whatever you, you, you need from God, when we attempt to earn that by what we do instead of what His Son Jesus already did to provide it, we're operating in a strange doctrine. When somebody gets up and tells you, yes, the cross finished it, but now I've got to consecrate myself to experience full victory, that's a strange doctrine. When somebody gets up and says, yes, the cross is important, but if I don't meet three times a week in my prayer closet, I won't experience the righteousness of God, that's a strange and a false doctrine. And Paul is writing to a group of people who are doing the same thing. We, not, we might not be erecting a tabernacle and trying to serve, continuing the sacrifice with our own hands, but that same action and work we ourselves do at times when we pull our trust and our focus and our understanding off of what Christ did and onto our own ability. It's the same spirit. It's the same issue. And it's happening 2,000 years after this because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So when we attempt to serve in the tabernacle, so to speak, as verse 10 tells us, and we attempt to serve in things that, are, that, that is not the way of God, which is exclusive faith in, in the cross, which is how grace operates, 
then we find ourselves like this last part of this verse 9 says, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Those who decide to try to earn the grace of God by what they do cannot experience the benefits of grace. How can, how can you? When we throw grace out or put it on the back burner, all the benefits that come by it are, are off limits to us. Notice how it says, which have not profited them that have been occupied there. And this is speaking of those who were still attempting to sacrifice and serve in the tabernacle. Paul says they weren't profited by doing all that. Isaiah 48, 17, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit. That's P-R-O-F-I-T, not prophetic, but prophet, as in benefit. I am the, the Lord thy God, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. That's one way. It's the cross way. It's the way of the altar. God is teaching His people how to profit, not some whacked out word of faith, money cometh, strange doctrine, profit, but I'm talking about profit, which means benefit. He teaches His people how to experience the benefits of grace by telling them, I am your Redeemer and I'll lead you in the right way. Because we're just following Jesus. It's His footsteps that are the footsteps of righteousness. That passage is about Him, amen? So He will teach us to profit, but as long as we're occupying ourselves in that works-based mentality, that law mindset of trying to earn anything from God outside of grace and faith in the cross, we cannot profit. We cannot experience the benefits. And this is not just for those who go to church and stand in the pulpit and sing on the platform and serve in some capacity at the ministry. This is for every single child of God and believer. Don't take this lightly, the, the preaching of the cross. Don't think, well, that's just a bunch of theology that's only for those who minister and stuff like that. Jesus, His body was the final tabernacle, which means... The, the, the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron, the nation of Israel, that, those aren't the only people who now get to experience the holy place. Every single born-again Christian can experience the holy place with God and approach the throne of grace because we've been seated right beside it in Jesus. And it's all by faith and grace in Christ and what He's done to get us there. So, verse 9 Paul is saying, if you continue in what you do instead of what Christ has done to receive something from God for your heart to be established with grace, you won't be profited. And it's a strange doctrine. In verse 10, Paul makes it even more narrow, even more exclusive. I know that word is a bad word now to a lot of people, exclusive, but we need to wake up and understand who our God is. He doesn't have many different ways. Verse 10, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. There's some several words in here that we need to key up on. Number one, we. How many of you know that this phrase here, we have, 
That's an ongoing present tense phrase, have. It doesn't say we had an altar when we got saved that they have. No, no, we have an altar currently that we partake of that they have no right to eat of which serve the tabernacle. That's those who are mentioned in the previous verse which are trying to earn their way to the righteousness of God. But we, who our hearts have been established with grace, the previous verse told us, by faith in Christ and His redemption, we have an altar whereof we can eat, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Once again, this is a moment-by-moment experience. This isn't talking about the moment you got saved and you partook of, of Christ and what He did for your remission of sins. This is an ongoing moment-by-moment process of living at that altar at the foot of the cross, partaking of Christ and what He did there by faith, trusting in Him instead of ourselves in every moment that we find ourselves in. How many of you know it's a lot more intensified than we like to think? Every moment of our life, there's, there's a situation where we can choose to trust Him or ourselves. And we do things and we, we, we let distractions come in our lives where we try to fade that temptation and that trial of our faith that happens every moment out, but it's still there happening. And we need to be more aware of it. We need to be more aware of His presence and what He's trying to do in our lives. I was telling my wife last night, I was asking her, how many people do you really think are aware every moment that God is looking and watching their hearts and wants to be involved in their lives? Well, the truth is if you ask every Christian, they say, well, I know God is watching me and he, he wants to be involved in my life. But how many moments out of the day are we thinking about that? And not just thinking with our mental, but how many moments are we yielding ourselves to that? He wants to be involved in our lives. Amen. We have a God who, how, how beautiful, how wonderful is that? How loving. it. He wants to be involved in your life. <laughs> The God who created everything, who has, who has been over and, 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 and involved in the lives of billions and billions and billions who's ever lived on this earth, He wants to be involved in your life and your heart, and He wants you to come in a greater communion with Him and His Son. And He's doing everything that He can to get you there, but it takes us acting in faith and choosing to believe. He set it up for us to just be able to sit there and say, here I am. Let me open my eyes and realize I'm planted in Christ. Amen? That's what faith really is. But this verse tells us that we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. This word they shows us that it is an exclusive place. <clears throat> they in this verse refers to what the last part of it says. They who serve in the tabernacle, which is those who try to work for anything from God. Which I'm going to tell you right now, don't, we don't need to get this opinion of ourselves that well, I can never be a part of they in this verse. Because we quickly switch from we to they in the moments that we look to ourselves instead of what Christ has already done. Me, you, and everyone listening cannot partake of that altar if we're trying to do so by what we do in our ability. 
It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if I've been learning and preaching the message of the cross for 20, 30 years. You can still be a part of they in this verse, which is they that have no right to eat of the altar. And it's all according to what we do with the sacrifice of Christ because that's what's on the altar. Imagine that we were all gathered around a table having dinner and in order to get into this dinner person outside the door had to give you a pass or a ticket for you to be able to enter. Well, you can either take that free pass and go in and eat, or you can try to go around the building and find your way in to sit down at that table. But the the promise is in this verse is that if we try to do that and we try to work to figure out how to earn the benefits and the favor and the righteousness and the victory that's in Christ through any other way but the free ticket of His redemption, we can never partake of the altar. Never. And as we've heard over the past several years, there's so many verses of Scripture in the Bible that we've only ever considered to be exclusive to our our salvation experience, but there's ongoing. It's ongoing. This is an ongoing passage here, an ongoing truth that we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. This is the altar of grace, and when faith in Christ is abandoned for works, we lose our right to continue to partake of Christ at His altar. The word eat here is important. Because as we just did this morning, we partook of Christ by faith. This is a spiritual matter. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit of communion. But the word eat here, once again, is present tense. It doesn't say we had an altar whereof they had no right, but we ate there and they didn't get to... No, no. We have an altar presently and we get to eat at this altar. We didn't just partake of Christ when we... When we got saved, but we must do so every moment. The Scripture says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. And we live by the word of the cross because we live by faith, and faith comes by hearing the word. Let me say that again. We live by the word of Christ and the cross because we live by faith, and faith only comes when we hear that word a continual hearing and obeying by faith of the Word and the preaching of the cross is what causes us to have life. Amen? Eating from what's on the altar, which is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Remember that word without means outside. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, (laughs) suffered outside the gate. And this, of course, is speaking of what God commanded to be done concerning the sin offering in the Old Testament in Exodus 29.14. But the flesh of the bullock and his skin and his dung you shall burn with fire without the camp, outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And that's exactly why Jesus died in the same way as those bullocks in the Old Testament did is because He is the sin offering. Amen? Why were the bodies of these animals who were slain for the covering of the sins of Israel, why were they burned outside of the gate? 
Why, why did they have to be taken outside of the camp of Israel, outside of the gate, even though their blood could be presented? Well, the, this is a powerful and beautiful truth here. It's because everything outside the camp of Israel and outside the gate was considered unclean, shameful, disobedient, rebellious. Outside the camp, for example, you had the lepers who had to sit out there. Outside the camp, you had the ashes of those who had committed rebellion against God and His people who were burned at the stake and then put outside the camp. It represented sin and uncleanness. And Jesus being crucified outside the camp represents His taking of all that was unclean and sinful about us, all that was unrighteous about us, and He was crucified outside the gate of Jerusalem which represented Him taking our sin upon Him and burying it. Amen? And paying the penalty for our sin. Everything outside the, the camp of Israel was unclean. And do you know that Jesus... Can somebody tell me here, and feel free to answer, where was Jesus crucified? On what place? Golgotha. That was outside of the gate of Jerusalem, near the wilderness. They took our, our faithful Lord, who was perfect, outside of the very place where He said His righteousness dwells, Jerusalem, and they crucified Him outside of the gate, outside of the camp, like a criminal. Do you know why? It's because just as we sang that beautiful song this morning, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. He was crucified like a criminal outside of the camp of Israel because our uncleanness and our sin, He freely took that upon Himself and paid for it. That's our Jesus. That's our Lamb of God, worthy to be praised. He is the sin offering. And the Hebrews here tells us, Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate. Praise the Lord. I don't know if that doesn't penetrate down to your soul. Nothing will. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why else would we be concerned with anything in our lives than that which ended the enmity and the, the wall of perdition and hatred which was between us and God. That's the blood of Jesus. And it's all by grace and not by serving, trying to get it. It is freely received or not received at all. A lot of people talk about the grace of God in a positive way, and they should because it's the most positive thing there is. It's the good news of Christ crucified. But there's also a warning on the backside of something that's free from God. It means if you ever try to earn it, you can have none of it. If you try to attempt to earn your salvation, you can't receive it from God because that is a slap in the face to the price that Jesus paid. Amen? But why not freely receive it? Why is that even an issue? Have you ever asked yourself, why is it even an issue for me to be able to freely receive the, 
God, everything He has through His grace. Why do I attempt to work? Why, why, do, why does my flesh, why do I attempt to earn it at times when I know better? It's because this part of us that's still corrupted, it seeks to get glory in every single situation. And that's why Jesus said, in order to follow me, that has to be denied. And the cross has to be applied. Self, the only way self can be denied is if we realize it was ultimately denied and crucified at the cross. And when we do that, we'll begin to experience everything God has for us, which is laid out on His altar that we have a right to partake of by the grace of God. Amen? Jesus is this sin offering so that He might sanctify the people with His blood. He was taken out of the place of the city and crucified, just as the sin offerings were in the Old Testament, but His blood was brought before God in the sanctuary of heaven before the Father. What does verse 11 tell us? For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, the bodies are burned outside the camp, but the blood is brought in because it typified that precious blood of our Savior Jesus. Hallelujah. And when Jesus was being... I'm going to tell you all right now, this is powerful. It's powerful for me. When Jesus was being looked upon at the cross as a criminal as, as a, 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 a hypocrite. It's what they were thinking, the people crucifying. The world was looking at him thinking he was weak. He, he's nothing but a hypocrite. But the father was looking down at his son because even though he was being crucified outside the city in the place of the unclean skull, Golgotha, his blood, Jesus Christ, was presenting it in the mercy seat of heaven before his father. That precious blood was being presented before the Father, and the Father smelled that sweet aroma and saw that it was good. And when His Son was being crucified, He was thinking about you. He was thinking about all those who would accept this free gift of grace and redemption, and He was glad. It says that it pleased Him to bruise His Son. Because He wanted you. He wanted you to be saved and experience this great communion by His blood. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's the gospel. <laughs> if that's not good news, what is? Amen. It's all free by the blood of Jesus. You and I do have a responsibility to partake of it by faith. Amen. And just as the high priest entered in the holy place with the blood, so did Jesus once for all time. A new and living way, the ultimate altar, the one that all those before it represented. Hebrews seven twenty two through 27, I'll read to you. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens." 
who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. That's Jesus Christ, our faithful and true high priest. He offered himself up one time for all people, but he lives right now at the throne, at the right hand of the throne, making intercession for you and me. He is faithful when we confess our sins. He is faithful to forgive us from those sins and our unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, because he ever lives to make intercession. And He's not looking for ways to forgive you. He already paved the way. It's a new and living way. Amen? And look at all that Jesus has done for us. He Himself took on all the responsibility of redemption. It was on His shoulders. The government of God was on the shoulders of His Son, Jesus Christ. He took on all the responsibility of redemption and He carried it out perfectly. That's why Hebrews calls Him the captain and the perfecter of our salvation and faith. Amen? And if Jesus finished the work, which He most certainly did, what is our job now? Well, amen. It's, it's, It's not to try and sacrifice more lambs, as we've learned in Hebrews 13, and serve in the tabernacle as we've seen in this passage. All that has been fulfilled in the final and perfect slain lamb. Our heart is to be established in grace and not works. But how exactly? What is our responsibility? Read the next verse, verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. This is us. This us is the same as the we in the pre, in verse 9. The ver, Verse 9 Sorry, verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. That same we there, those who live in by faith and grace, is the same us in verse 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp where he was crucified. So this is Paul telling us, even though you're right now eating at the altar by faith in the cross, you still have to go and do it moment by moment. We should let the cry of our heart in this place this morning. Let us go therefore to the place that He was crucified and bear His reproach. Amen? Let's run to the cross. That's our responsibility. To run to Calvary every moment. God desires for His people to dwell in the place where He gave them everything that they would need in His Son Christ. Christ has became everything, wisdom, redemption, sanctification, everything that we need, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And God desires for us to dwell in that place, but here's the good news. Even that's done by grace and not works. Running to the cross, staying in this place, because the place that we're told to to go, which is the cross, God is always delivering us there. 2 Corinthians 4.11, He's telling you, Let us go therefore to the cross and God's telling you, I've already delivered you there. You don't have to run outside of the city limits of Jerusalem and try to find that old hill Golgotha that that, that He was crucified on because He lives in your heart. 
Jesus said, there's coming a day when I'll be worshipped in spirit and truth, not in the tabernacle. And that day started when He laid His, his body down, which was the tabernacle. Amen? Ours, our job and responsibility is to believe and trust in Christ and what He did at Calvary completely and wholly, not leaving any room to trust in our ability or understanding. This is what Jesus called us to do. Let's, let's close this morning with John chapter 6. John chapter 6, partaking of the Lamb. John chapter 6, and I'm going to read some paragraphs, but we'll start in verse 26. <clears throat> while, you're, while you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of context about this story that we all have probably heard. John 6 is a long chapter, but at the beginning of this chapter is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the fish and the bread. And then Jesus had to escape that crowd. The Bible says that he had to go hide in the mountains because those people that he just fed were going to try to take him and make him their earthly king and ruler. The Bible says that here in John chapter 6. But that's not the reason that Jesus came to earth. He came to die, not to establish an earthly kingdom to overthrow Rome. Guess what? That's coming real soon, though. When He returns, when he returns all these people are going to have Israel cornered, but all those Jewish people who are alive are going to look to the Lamb and live and be redeemed, and they're going to look up and see the one who they pierced, His hands, and He's going to save them all. And we're going to be with Him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But that wasn't the time for that yet. It was time for our Savior because God had been planning from before the foundation of the world to lay his life down. <clears throat> but if they got a hold of him, the Bible says they would have tried to force him to be their king. So after Jesus fled, his disciples took a boat across the sea. And this is when Jesus, one of the times he came walking to them on the water. And when the thousands of people saw that he was not on the shore with them, they took boats across the sea, found him in Capernaum. And when they found him, they asked him, how did you get here? And Jesus knew the true intention of their heart, that they were only after more food and not Jesus himself. And that brings us to verse 26. John 6, 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, <clears throat> You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Shall, that meaning in the future. He was speaking of His death. For Him that God the Father sealed. For Him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God. You ready? That you believe on Him whom He has sent. What is your responsibility today to partake of the altar? That you believe upon the one who was slain on the altar, Jesus Christ. You go down to verse 41. This is after Jesus begins to tell the people that He is the bread of life which comes from heaven. 
And in verse 41, it says, The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? See, these people grew up, some of these people grew up around Jesus. They had no idea. What, what does he mean he comes down from heaven? But he said in verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, <clears throat> He that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and now are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. That's the body of Jesus slain on the cross. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That's what was on the altar, the body and the blood of Jesus for our sin. And the Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. The, I want you to see, He that eateth my flesh and drinks my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. What is, that's four verses in a row that Jesus says the exact same thing. He repeats himself four times in a row. The significance of this is unspoken here. This is what he put on the altar, his flesh and blood. <clears throat> Verse 58, This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. This morning when we partook of communion, it's not a physical or a literal thing that happened but we're by, through the Spirit remembering and honoring what our Lord did for us through His flesh and blood being laid down. It's sad, and you, you might roll your eyes, but it actually needs to be said that we don't partake of the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. There's a large religion that believes every time they take communion, they are eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 60 through 63. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Then Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, and he said unto them, Does this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He knew what they were thinking. Are we going to have to feast on Jesus? He said, no, these words that I'm speaking unto you, they're spiritual. They're not literal. You're not going to come up and take a bite off of His arm. They're spiritual and they're life. And because they're of the Spirit, they're of life. Because the Spirit we have is the Spirit of grace. It's that spirit that is it built the altar that Christ died on, and He works through the altar that Christ died on, the cross of Christ. The spirit that we serve, we don't literally do this. It's through the spirit and it's through life that we've been given. Amen? 
But today, through the Spirit and through our faith in simply believing in the Son of God and what He did at Calvary, we partake of His flesh and blood. Therefore, we have life. And we will not die, but we'll live forever. How many of you know eternal life for you has already begun? <laughs> we will pass from this earth one way for an, or another, but it w- the moment between death and eternal life with Christ will be so quick as if it never even really happened in that moment. And we'll be with Him, and it will be as if you've always been with Him. We don't really understand what eternity is. We don't. We know that it has no ending, but we often forget that it also has no beginning. Now, when you try to think like that, you know, you become, <laughs> you become <laughs> just sitting there going, hum, I don't know what's going on, you know. Uh, that, that will hurt your brain, but God, who, who, who understands all that because He is all that and He is eternal, He isn't calling us to try to figure all that out. He's calling us to let us therefore go and run outside the gate and partake of what's on that altar. Amen? That's what He's calling His people to do, something that He's already done Himself and to partake of that. Amen? And I'm glad it doesn't take a scholar because I ain't one. I want to sit and partake of the altar by simple faith. And he's made it simple, simple whereas a child could do it. Amen? Verse 67 here, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words which bring our faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Matthew 4 and 4, we, we live by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. And every one of those words are in righteousness, which means they're concerning the lamb slain. And that's how we live, amen? In Him we find our being, our breath, and we move in Him, Paul said in Acts 17, I believe it was. In Him we find our life and what He's done. Amen? Go ahead and stand with me this morning.